stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I want to begin this out of the conversation about what looks to be a fascinating film. It's going to be part of the Calgary Underground Film Festival this weekend. Uh, it uh, premieres uh, Thursday night at 9.30, the screening of this film. That's called Manson, The Voice of Madness. Now, it's, um, I guess, almost 50 years, about 48 years, I believe, uh, since the infamous uh, Manson family murders. And, of course, the uh, notorious trial a few years later. And I think to this day, there's a fascination with Charles Manson. And it's, it's an instantly recognizable name, even amongst people who were born uh, years after all of this. Uh, so this new film kind of revisits what happened. And it's not about, at any level, I think, trying to exonerate Manson. But there was certainly a narrative that emerged about what motivated all of this. And, and maybe there's a, a different story that kind of got overlooked or lost in all of this. So why is it important to to tell this story, to understand who these people were and what happened? So that's the subject of this film. So as mentioned, uh, it's called Manson, the Voice of Madness. And joining us on the line is the um, person responsible for this, a director, uh, James Day, uh, joins us on the line this afternoon. James, great to have you with us. Hi, Rob. Now, of course, uh, you're from right here in Calgary. You're involved in Pyramid Productions. I'm, I'm sure folks are familiar with. So it, it really seems interesting that this filmmaker from Calgary is able to make this connection with Charles Manson. But but you spent a lot of time talking with him, didn't you? Yeah, I spent uh, the better part of a year talking to him on the phone. Now, we can talk about how that came about, but just how <laughs> surreal that is in the first place. What What is that even like? Um, it was surreal is a good word for it. Um, you know, I was as shocked as anyone the first time I spoke with him. Um, and, um, I was shocked every time he kept calling me back and, uh, I was, I guess, fortunate enough to keep talking to him over the course of a year and, and, uh, just ask him all sorts of questions enough to, uh, tell the story. So where's he being held? What, what prison is he at? He's at the California state, uh, prison. It's called California state prison Corcoran which is in Corcoran, California, which is about two hours outside of Los Angeles. And um, it, if you go there, there's two massive prison complexes in this really small farming town called Corcoran. And um, he's in the more decrepit-looking Corcoran, too. Um, in fact, the two prison complexes house about 10,000 inmates and uh, make up about 50% of the population of the town. Okay. And, and he's fairly old now. Is he in his, his 80s now? Yeah, he's 82. Okay. All right, so let's go back um, to, to when this all began. So you, you sort of had this idea of you know, looking into this story. You wanted to investigate this story. So you, you had sent him some letters. You'd read it, reached out to him, right? That's right, yeah. I, I wrote him a few letters um, after speaking with some people, um, kind of suggesting that there may be more to this story. And, uh, again, I was shocked uh, when he called me for the first time. Uh, I was uh, filming... a. I make a TV series called The Shocking Truth, uh, which is on reels in the United States, and uh, it's on Bell in Canada. And um, we were in Florida filming, and my uh, I was in the middle of a meal, and my phone rang, and it, it was a pre-recording that said, do you have a prepaid call from? And then his voice came on, Charles Manson, and I ran out of the restaurant <laughs> to take the call, <laughs> leaving yeah. the waitress very perplexed. I'll bet. 
What got you interested in this story there? What was it about this story that, that you felt that after all these years still hadn't really been investigated or explored? Well, I'd read Helter Skelter as a teenager, and then before all this, just recently went to a used bookstore and bought it and reread it. Um, and, you know, the Helter Skelter narrative doesn't, you know, is very much embedded in the 60s. It doesn't quite make sense, especially in in light of the current culture. Um so I'd always thought there was more to that story, and I'd always just been fascinated with true crime and serial killers. Um, and then I had met um, two authors who were working on a manuscript, <clears throat> and they suggested that there was much more to this story. And then the more I looked into it, the more I, I kind of uh, thought they were right and, and um, thought that there is much, much more to the Manson family story than has been told. Okay, so the helter-skelter theory, I mean, of course, it's a, it's a Beatles song. So, I mean, it, it kind of starts with the song, doesn't it? The idea that the song somehow inspired Manson and, and his followers? Yeah, the helter-skelter theory is very basically the idea that Charles Manson was running around Los Angeles and San Francisco in the 60s, and he creates a cult of... Uh, wannabe nurses and librarians and he indoctrinates them to his evil ways and and that trial they called him a evil Svengali guru and and at some point he tells them uh, that there's going to be a race war in los angeles and it's going to take over the entire world and and while that race war is happening they're going to hide in a hole in the desert in uh, death valley and when the race war is finished they're going to come out and he's going to rebuild the world because the victorious black army will not be able to manage itself. And, <laughs> and that's basically the, the, the theory that they presented at trial. Okay. And is that a, a little bit wrong in your view or a lot wrong? I think it's a lot wrong. Um, I don't think much of any of that is true in my, from what we discovered and from my perspective. <laughs> Now, how much can you, you gleam about what motivated Charles Manson by talking to Charles Manson? How open is he about all of this? Well, he, he's, you've kind of got to take what he gives you. I mean, it's hard. You don't want to take the most infamous mass murder of all time at his word. So you have to negotiate what he says at all times. Um, he is incredibly infamous. He knows that. And, and he... He talks about everything in context. He has multiple names for times and places and people. So you really have to know what, what about his life and know what you're talking about before you start asking him questions. Um, and if you don't, um, he gets upset. I remember one time I said he, he said he was talking about something I didn't quite understand, and I said, I'll have to look it up. And he, got, he went really quiet, and he said, I just realized you don't know me. And I said, well, what do you mean, Charlie? And he said, he said, when I say something, you don't have, you don't say, I have to look it up. You know it. Cause I said it. Oh, really? <laughs> um, but, but he, he doesn't claim to be innocent. Does he? He, um, he definitely, I mean, when you talk about helter skelter, he definitely claims that he was railroaded in that sense. But I mean, he, he readily admits that he's part of the underworld and that what he does is by his own moral code and the way he sees life, which is through prison. So, I mean, to ask if he's innocent is kind of a loaded question. He doesn't, I wouldn't 
say that he thinks he's innocent, but he definitely does not believe or claims that the charges against him are unjust. Right, because what was the challenge, obviously, then, is that, and, and nobody's ever really alleged this, obviously, that, that he didn't personally murder these people, right? Oh, absolutely. Everybody agrees that he, he was an armchair murderer. He mm-hmm. never, he was 40 miles away from the murders when they took place, um, except for uh, one of the alleged murders, which took place um, months later. Uh, everyone agrees that he was nowhere near the scene at the time. So when you ask him, you know, who killed this person or, or, or questions like that, he'll say, you should ask the people that killed them. I wasn't there. How would I know what happened? So why were these people following him? I mean, if this wasn't a cult in the sense that it, it had these, these goals and objectives that were laid out at the time of the trial, what were these people following him for? Well, I talked to many people that were there, um, including um, Bobby Beausoleil, who was uh, allegedly, you know, he, he is still in prison. I talked to him from um, Vacaville, California. That's where he's serving a life sentence for the first alleged Manson family murder. And many of them paint a different picture. Um, and, and, and they more describe it as not a cult, but a commune of people kind of living together, which was a very common situation in the 60s, especially in 1967, 68, 69. Um, and, and even, even I spoke with some of the so-called family members who who uh, use the term cult now, and even they said at the time, we didn't know what a cult was. Nobody ever called it a cult. Uh, it, it was not recharacterized that until years later. Of course, a few years after the trial, then you had, I think it was 75, was it, when one of the, the members of the Manson family was arrested for attempting to assassinate the president, Gerald Ford, at the time. Right, that was squeaky. Um, right, yeah. That was that was much later, yes. Um, so did, did that, that have anything to do with, with Charles Manson? Well, uh, that's a good question for debate. I mean, there's nothing... Uh, he had been in prison for a long time at that point, um, and um, Squeaky had very little contact with him at that point. So it, if it did have anything to do... I mean, there's no question it had to do with her political views, Mm-hmm. Um, which she didn't call herself a member of the Manson family. They they actually have another um, uh, uh, term for their mantra, which is called ATWA, which stands for Air Trees, Waters, Animals. Um, so that was her political motivation at that time. And 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 the uh, her what she said about that particular incident is that she was pointing a um, an empty gun at the president to get his attention. But after uh, Charles went to prison. Did did they stay yep. loyal to him? There, oh, there is. I mean, he still has a pretty close group of supporters um, that live near the prison. Um, Sandra Good, who uh, was one of the women that was on the street corner with her with her head shaved, uh, lives close to the prison. Um, he has a, a, a lot of them, uh, like Squeaky. Uh, due to the conditions of their parole, aren't, aren't able to communicate with him. But he definitely still has uh, loyal supporters. So the film has—I mean, like, the film has a story to tell, right, about what really happened in that that summer of 1969. But I, and I think—and you're getting questions. I mean, are you trying to suggest that Manson's innocent, et cetera? That—that that isn't what this is about. 
No, it's not about exonerating Charles Manson or uh, suggesting that uh, he had nothing to do with anything or that he's some sort of taxi or something like that. No, it's it's nothing like that. It's reexamining what actually happened and, and speaking with him and, and the people that are there and, and looking at the timeline of the murders and, and looking at the real reasons that they happened and the, the real story that took place and uh, the real motivations of, of the killers. Right. And, and I guess, and, and part of it is, and maybe there, there's some implications from this, if, if, if there were some shortcuts taken at the time, that, look, we all know this is a bad guy, let's make sure we, we put him behind bars, even if that means exaggerating a narrative here, is, is that something that, that we should be concerned about? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a question that we, we, we completely ask in the documentary, the idea of noble corruption. And that's a theme that you see in, in the justice system frequently, the idea that, you know, uh, a law enforcement official may know someone to be guilty or may truly believe someone to be guilty, but not have the evidence specifically to put that person uh, in prison. And so they may interpret evidence or plant evidence or do something to make sure that that person uh, goes to prison to protect society. And and the question is, is that ever right? You know, the justice system has to work for everyone, even if it's Charles Manson. Uh, and by the way, uh, this film has a narrator, and it's a name a lot of people will recognize, none other than Rob Zombie. Uh, how did he get involved in this project? Uh, a lot of persistence. Oh, yeah. Uh, from... <laughs> so we, uh, when we were getting close to finishing the film, we um, uh, made a list of like a person that we'd want to narrate it and he was always at the top of our list um and uh, so then when we got into the real nitty-gritty of editing we sent out feelers and and requests to agents and agencies and managers and got turned down left right and center he was one of the first people we sent a note to and then months in uh we just got a call back that he was uh intrigued and uh, we sent him some material and uh, he watched it and from then on he was incredibly gracious with his time and participation and and it was just fantastic all right well the film is called manson the voice of madness it screens thursday night 9 30 at the globe cinema it's part of the calgary underground film festival calgaryundergroundfilm.org james thanks so much for joining us here today and uh, congrats on the film Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Take care. Uh, that is James Day. Uh, he's a VP at uh, Pyramid Productions, uh, and he's the director of Manson, the Voice of Madness. Now, he's going to be att- in attendance uh, at the screening on uh, Thursday night as well. That looks like an interesting film. 9.30 at the Globe Cinema, part of the Calgary Underground Film Festival. 403-974-8255 is our number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.